Let me plant, paint the scene for you. Are you ready? Because I love, I love stories. I love narrative. Because, come on, who doesn't love a good story, right? Star Wars is coming out in less than a month, or more than a month, not less. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I was trying to make it come after. So who doesn't love a good story? This nation is enthralled with stories. Think about all the money that we spend on movies and books. I know some people are like, books, what are those? But I remember back in the day, like, people stand in line for the Harry Potter books. We love a good story, right? We love the story. And so I want to talk to you real briefly a story that kind of happens in the middle of God's story. And this is a point in the history of Israel, kingdoms, the king, the king has been established, so there's a kingdom. David has come, Solomon has come, and we're about 75 years past Solomon. And it's after, after David and Solomon, they start to get this, this kind of theme going throughout the, the kings, is that every once in a while there would be a good king, and they did right in the sight of the Lord. But then you would have this point where, where the king, they would have this description and they did what was detestable in some versions or they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so we're kind of in this period of time where the king Ahab and King Jezebel are in rule and they were doing what was detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Now, how many of you guys are named with the name, have a name Jezebel? Like, is it your, your middle name? Is it a nickname? Mike's like me. <laughs> Parents hated Mike. Uh, I don't think we name, if you had a friend named Jezebel, I'm so sorry, but I don't think parents name their kids Jezebel because, well, it's not a popular name and just because the character that we are, where we are. So we're in 1 Kings, kind of around 18, circa 18, and we have King Ahab and Jezebel, they're doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord. And here's the thing, what, what is evil to, to God is that they have brought worship into of, of, of Asherah and Baal, which are basically fertility gods. And so they are basically worshiping Yahweh, but on the side, they're doing the fertility religion. And I won't go into detail because it's PG-13 and I got to keep it under because there's youngins in the room. But basically they did things that were bad. I, you, you go to the, go the, go the thing. So, and so <laughs> let the adults, let your imagination run wild. So, so we have, um, so we have the, this worship happening that's the testable in the sight of the Lord. And you have also Jezebel who's come in from Phoenicia and she's taking out Yahweh's prophets, like literally killing them. And so you have this basically war happening on Yahweh where you have the worship of Baal and Asherah. And then you also have the killing of his messengers, his people that are speaking out on his behalf. And so enters Elijah. Elijah is probably one of my favorite prophets, mainly because he kind of reminds me of me. And you'll see why, because he's a knucklehead and also awesome at the same time. So, um, and so we have Elijah coming in and, and, and he has, it's kind of the story of Elijah. This is this famous passage where he meets a widow and, and her son and, and she needs to make ends meet. And so he tells her, well, take these jars and just, keep pouring olive oil. And basically it's kind of like fishes and loaves. If you read about Jesus, it's like this is miraculous, like the olive oil won't stop. This is great. It's kind of like, uh, um, I was going to say canes with the sauce, but you have to pay for it. So that's rough. Um, but uh, so we have this miracle and then comes the showdown at Mount Carmel, right? How many of you remember the Mount Carmel showdown? If not, that's okay. Cause I'm about to tell you in a real brief synopsis. So basically 
what's happened is there is a, there is a kind of a, a, um, a famine in the land. The rain has not, has not rained for quite a while. That's mainly due to God telling Elijah, hey, tell Ahab there's not going to be any rain. There's going to be a drought for a little bit, a season. And so, but he has now told Ahab, okay, Ahab, go tell, I mean, he's now told uh, Elijah, go tell Ahab that, um, that I'm going to bring rain. And, and Elijah's like, um, excuse me, Ahab is trying to kill me. You want me to go to him and tell him that, that, that I'm gonna, you're going to bring rain? Uh, really? Yeah, that's what I want you to do. And so this whole interplay happens where um, he goes and he finds Obadiah, who has actually been protecting Yahweh's prophets, and that's a, it's great. You should read this. This is a great story. So there's actually more prophets in there, and Obadiah is actually a Yahweh follower, but he kind of works for Ahab, and so he's trying to play this, you know, this... Uh, this tension. And so, and then you have Ahab, um, you have Elijah that comes and he says, hey, tell, tell Ahab to bring 450 Baal prophets, 400 Asherah prophets, and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have a little showdown at Mount Carmel. So he says, deal, let's do it. Let's see who's God's the best. And so they show up to Mount Carmel. He says, you build that altar over there real big, get the, the wood set up. I'll build my altar over here. And so he does this symbolic thing using 12 stones to build the altar because the tribe, the tribe of Israel, there's 12 tribes in Israel, right? And he says, all right, you guys get to go first. You get guest honor. And so they, he says, call, pray to your gods. And if he brings fire down on this altar, your God is the true God of Israel. And so... What you have is you have the ball prophets. They start to pray. They start to get, get uh, erratic and crazy. They, they get to the point where their God's not even answering. So they start cutting themselves. They go, they just get this ritualistic type of worship. And so they get in a frenzy and still their God, Baal, hasn't brought fire. And I love Elijah. He calls says, well, maybe your God's in the bathroom. This is literally the Hebrew idiom. Maybe he's uh, having trouble. Maybe he's He's, yo, hey, maybe you should cry a little louder, you know? And so he's, he's messing with him. This is why I like Elijah, because I'm like, he's got a great sense of humor. Um, and, uh, and he says, all right, you guys have had your shot. It's middle of the day. It's my turn. All right, I want you to take all, take those four pots over there. And they're like, if you could picture these big pots of water, go fill them up with water, pour it on the altar. That's not good enough. Go get another round. No, okay, that's not good enough. Go get another round. It's three times. He poured water on his altar. And he goes in this prayer and he says, God, bring fire. Show that you're the true God. And this, of course, all the ball prophets at that point in time run, scattered. And he says, and and Elijah's like, no, go after him. And this is very Old Old Testament. Basically, they they slaughtered all the the prophets. And, And he said, Ahab, wait one second. Go back and tell tell the kingdom that rain is coming. And so we have this point where he's praying and, and rain comes to Israel. And this is where we enter the story. We've seen this miraculous Mount Carmel fire come down, the power of God. And Ahab is, is going back to Jezreel and says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he killed all the prophets with the sword so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me or be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like, like one of them. 
Now Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread over, his hot, over hot coals, a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And then the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went to a cave and spent the night. So first things first, here's Elijah. He's, he's it, it played a part in fire coming down. He's played a part in rain coming. He's seen God move in powerful ways. And Jezebel comes. And I'm gonna try my best Max impersonation without. <laughs> Jezebel comes and says, I'm gonna get you, sucker. I'm gonna get you, sucker. And what does Elijah do? What does he do, Sarah? He runs away. He runs away. I wonder if, you know, and I wonder if, if, if there's something happens when we are in the midst of our circumstances, right? And, and we see his God, God has moved in mighty ways. But come on, let's be honest. Life is not fun all the time. Life has its moments. Life has its ups and downs. Life has so many things that go on that, that so quickly to forget, right? That God has moved on our behalf many times. Uh, it's really interesting to me that you have this prophet who so much, you know, gusto said, ah, maybe your God's, you know, having problems taking up dump, you know, you know, I don't know. So, and then he goes and he hears Jezebel threaten his life and he runs. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's this really interesting thing where he says, um, I've had enough, Lord, take my life. And then he fell asleep. What I love about God, though, here is this. And here are these words. Is that, when God, God sends his angel, and what does, he, what does he say? Here, hey, eat something. It's almost like he's saying, hey, Elijah, here's a Snickers. You're not yourself. Right? But here's the beautiful thing. God meets us where we are. Even if in the moment of crisis, you've responded like Elijah, God meets us where we are. Maybe you didn't respond the way that we should have responded, but the reality is God meets us where we are. The other thing that I think we need to draw here, never underestimate the power of a nap. That's a side theological note I just wanna throw out there. It can be a holy thing to actually sleep. Rest is important. Amen. That's a side message for another thing. But I just wanted to say that God meets us where we are. The other thing that we, we need to look at is that when we, when we are in the midst of our circumstances, how many times or what is going through our head at that moment in time? And how can we rethink? How can we in that moment even in the midst of the trial, even in the midst of the circumstance, we see this going on. 
How can we, we train ourselves? How can we move to the way where God, we can say, God, I'm going to trust you in this. And I think when we read on the passage, and we'll, we'll see more about that. But I just want you to think about that, 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 that question. How can I trust you in this? And the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. Isn't it funny? What are you doing here, Elijah? Why is God asking this? Why is God asking this? It's almost like the Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Hey, where are you? Last time I checked, God knows all. He's omniscient, right? Why is God asking this very simple question to Elijah? He wants Elijah to be honest with God, but he also wants Elijah to be honest with himself. Hear that. God's asking you questions on a daily basis because he wants you to be honest with him, but honest with yourself. And I think that's one of the most important truths that we can draw out of one of the, pa- the passages today is that if we want to walk in this life through trial, through joy, whatever it may be, we have to be honest with what we're going through, how we're dealing with it. And one of the things that, that, uh, that I think is very apparent to me is that sometimes we're not honest. I'm not honest, right? Let's be honest. <laughs> You're like, hey, Rochelle's like, preach, amen. Um, and so many times that, that, that I could listen to my own sermons. That's probably why I preach, so I, li- so I preach to myself. Um, but I think as we look through the passage, we'll see that, that God has something very, very um, important that he wants to tell Elijah in this and very important how we deal with, deal with these, 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 these trials and tribulations. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. I think we are caught up in our culture and some, even in myself, we, we're looking at the wrong things of how God is moving. Like, we allow circumstances to dictate what God may be speaking to us. And the circumstances may not have anything to do with God. We live in a broken, fallen world. There's a lot of message and a lot of things that happen. And so many times we look and we say, God moved in that, or God moved in that. He might have. Well, where did God speak? It was in the whisper. How do we train our hearts to listen and hear God even in the midst of all the noise? Because I wonder if we're being honest with God and being honest with ourselves and we can start to hear the whisper 
So what are we doing on a daily basis? What are we doing on a weekly basis? How are we practicing the peace of God in our lives? I know Max, and we get onto him to get on a kayak and get on a lake, right? Because that's where he hears from God. But what are the things in your life that you're practicing that you know you hear from God? Maybe it's worship music. Maybe it's journaling. Maybe it's being outside. Maybe it's, it's getting in the word. Side note, get in the word, because I think what Max said, I've hidden your word in my heart, oh God, so I might not sin against you. So the word had, plays a powerful role in that, but what are the things that we're doing on a weekly, daily basis that we are getting sustenance in life from? Because when we hit the circumstances of life, when we hit those moments, and there's a lot of noise, there's wind, there's earthquakes, there's fire, there's all kinds of things. When God comes and he meets us where we are, we can hear his voice. And I think it's really cool that Elijah finally hears the voice and he steps out and God says, okay, Elijah, what are you really doing here? And Elijah answers with the same thing. He says this. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. It's so funny, right? When we get into the thick of things, it's so hard to see past this, right? Whew, me, myself, and I. I get all up in my stuff, all up in my junk. <sighs> We get so consumed with this when the reality, Elijah, you had Obadiah with a bunch of prophets being housed over there. Did you forget about that? Oh, and Elijah, this is what God says. Well, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, Escape the score to Jehu, and yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. 7,000. You are not alone. Can you look to your neighbor and say, you're not alone? Smile at them. Don't be weird. Don't be awkward. All right? You're not alone. It's so funny, right? When we go through things, we go through, whether it's, it's circumstances out of control, it's sin patterns in our lives, it's whatever it may be, the reality is we forget what God has done in our past and how he has saved us and how he's been faithful and continues to be faithful. We forget all that because we're not honest with him, we're not honest with ourselves, and we're not alone. We're not honest with each other. It's crazy. Church, this is why we're here. We're the body of Christ. You, me, together, we say yes to Jesus. We're the body of Christ. You are not alone. What are you doing here, Elijah? So what are you guys doing? I'm glad you weren't awkward, by the way, for not saying you're not alone. I appreciate that. But so easy to be sidetracked. But hear these words. You are not alone. God's got your back. He is with you. And yes, I promise you, you following Jesus, you saying yes to Jesus is not the ticket, the ticket that we all get preached at all the time. It's not going to be easy. There's not going to be 
that peaceful, easy feeling all, or at least there might be actually, I don't know, but I have to think my theology eagles might not be, might be wrecking that. So, um, but, uh, but no, there will not be, when we, Jesus does not promise us safety, but he does promise us a peace that passes all understanding. And so when Elijah went after Elisha, he says, so Elijah went from there and, and found Elisha's son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. First of all, that's weird. If Max came up and was like, hey, here's my cloak, what would you do? First of all, you didn't ask him, right? It's some strange dude that walked up. I'm not saying Max is strange. Well, he might be a little strange. But some strange guy walks up, throws his cloak over you, and just starts walking away. Now, biblical scholars, are, they're like, I have no idea what this means. However, it must have been significant because Elisha starts to follow after him. This cloak also, they say, was probably the cloak that he prayed with and he covered his face with when he walked out to talk with God. So there's a spiritual significance to this cloak. Someone called it mant a mantle. And so this idea that, that Elijah was passing on his mantle to Elisha. And Elisha then um, threw his cloak, and Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come back with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? I love that. What have I done to you? It, 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 the other translators would say, Think about what I've done. In other words, I'm asking you to step in to follow me, not just Mount Carmel, but also Jezebel. That's a part of your calling. That's a part of you following me. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it all to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. When we say we're going to follow Jesus, or Yahweh, maybe as Elijah said it, Elisha has painted a big picture, a beautiful picture, and very similar to also what Jesus said in Luke chapter nine. And he says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, and this is important, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. When Elisha was saying yes to Elijah, he was saying, I'm all in. He was saying, I'm all in. I'm taking up my whole livelihood, everything that I am, all my plows, my oxen, everything that, was, that defined who I was as a farmer, I'm chopping it up, literally cooking the meat, 
and I'm following you. You know the words for slaughter and the words for cook are actually, this is the nerd, Hebrew nerd coming out, the same terms that we use in temple worship, that when they, they, he killed this animal, it was killed for a sacrifice. When they cooked the meat, just like the priests would cook the meat for, for them to eat certain sacrificial, uh, for clean, cleansings and things like that, the same term was used. This is, this is Elisha having a worship moment saying, Jesus, or Elijah, I'm all in. I'm going to follow you. And the same is true what Jesus is saying in Luke 9, that when we're saying yes to God, we're saying we're all in. Come what may. Come the circumstances. Come what the, di- the different things of life that might happen. The good, the bad. Jesus also said, take up your cross and follow me. So when I think about cross, I don't always think of good things, right? That there's death involved. And so there, there are things that, that when we say yes to Jesus, there's something that is called to a deeper calling, a higher calling. Something that's calling us to something bigger than ourselves. And if we allow circumstances of this life to dictate everything about us, and we don't hear the word of God, we're not listening, and we forget that we're not alone, God's with us, and we have people around us. Guys, guys, let me just say this. There's something better for us. There's something deeper for us. And if we would just say we're all in, if we would just say, Hey, the plows in my life, I don't know what your plows are. I know mine was fear. I know mine was, was uh, actually my calling, saying, God, I want to be X, rather than saying, hey, God, what would you let, want me to be? And I was dictating to God what I thought I should be doing. That was my plow. Those are my oxen. And I had to lay it on the altar. I had to chop it up and choose another profession to go to UK. It's a long, different story. I'm running out of time. So I, the question that I have for you is, what are your oxen? What is your, what is your plow? Maybe there's something that you have, you know it's left there. You're saying, nah, not today, Jesus, not today. But I promise you when the, the situations of the life happen, the circumstances happen, if we're still holding on to those things, we're just, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard because our heart is divided. So are you all in today? Are you all in for Jesus? That's the call. That's the thing that he's asking us to do.